This is a recording from a Sunday meeting of the BC Humanist Association in Vancouver. Humanism is a progressive worldview that, without supernaturalism, affirms our ability and responsibility to lead meaningful, ethical lives capable of adding to the greater good of humanity. To learn more about humanism and to support our work, visit bchumanist.ca and make sure to follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, and be sure to subscribe to the BC Humanist Podcast. The opinions expressed in this podcast do not necessarily reflect those of our staff or board of directors. Hello, everyone. I'm delighted to be speaking to you all today. I'm here to discuss some things that have been on my mind a lot lately as an ex-Muslim. The first being criticism of Islam in the era of the rising far right, and the second being the maintenance of an intersection that seems almost mythical in its unattainability, and that is the intersection of being liberal and a person of Muslim background. It seems impossible and lonely enough to maintain that position as a Muslim. And then there are added challenges when you're an apostate. Being of Muslim background in the West right now, in this Trumpian era, is tough enough as it is. But being a secular, non-religious person of Muslim background is a whole other level of fucked up at the moment. So many of us thought there weren't others like us, questioning Islam, questioning conservatism in our communities. Because these things just aren't talked about. The risks are too great, especially if you're living in a Muslim-majority country like Pakistan or Saudi Arabia, which are the two places I've lived. And when, through the internet, we finally found each other, us secular, agnostic, atheist types of Muslim background were just so relieved that there were others, that there was a growing voice for us, that we banded together on something that ultimately doesn't tell you much about a person's values. We all came together under the umbrella of rejecting challenging religion, one religion specifically. Now, as the political climate changes in the West, we see some cracks in the ex-slash-reformist Muslim movement, more obviously than ever. There are those of us who were coming at it from the angle of opposing conservatism, whatever form it may take generally pushing for more progressive values, and others who were specifically only opposing Islam. As a result, the people who prioritize opposing Islam alone are happy now to ally with the Western right, some even going as far as joining anti-Muslim movements, the alt-right supporting or downplaying Muslim bans that could affect people just like them. Here you see... The flag of the fictional alt-right nation Kekistan being used in an ex-Muslim tweet. It's a spoof of a Nazi flag, actually. You see the term red-pilled being used. A popular term in alt-right circles for choosing uncomfortable truths over ignorance. When in actuality, it indicates quite the opposite. Back in the old country, expressing doubt about religion or challenging cultural boundaries can mean serious consequences at the very least resulting in alienation and being ostracized, disowned, excommunicated. We're not even entirely free from this consequence in the West either. And at worst, it means things like blasphemy accusations, lynching, death, 
So I do understand where the anger and bitterness some have is coming from. I don't excuse it, but I can see what conditions created this generalization and specific paranoia around Muslims, this taboo and loneliness surrounding Islamic apostasy, is also why finding others simply to align with you on this one thing feels so big that almost nothing else matters. However, as more and more of us come out and express ourselves, we begin to see the diversity among Islam's apostates too. Still, we are often lumped in as one, and even at times put on an unnecessary pedestal in the Western atheist scene when discussing Islam. I hate to be the one to say it, but ex-Muslims can be wrong in their assessments and opinions of Islam too, like anyone else. And if they're allying with the alt-writers and Kekistanis of this world, then it's increasingly important to see beyond the ex-Muslim means they're infallible when it comes to speaking about Islam view. Ex-Muslims too can overshoot in their criticism or overreact, tainting a movement that began with thoughtful critique. Now we have plenty of takes from former Muslims comparing Islam to Nazism, post-Charlottesville, or even ex-Muslims going on platforms like Rebel Media or Breitbart to express their views in a way that I believe ends up being counterproductive if we want the mainstream to actually absorb legitimate criticisms of Islam. Today, we have an increasingly polarized political environment where the left defensively protects things that are Islam-related, sometimes whitewashing even extreme things like face veils and modesty requirements for women versus the right which tends to generalize and demonize Muslims as a whole. Either way, sensible criticism of Islam is being lost to extreme defensiveness or conspiracies that portray Muslims as being on a mission to take over and impose Sharia. This is why, as ex-Muslims with perspectives from both inside and outside the faith, I believe we have a responsibility to portray things in a measured and accurate way. Yes, there are huge problems to tackle in our Muslim communities, and so much intolerance. But at the same time, it's important to keep in mind that things aren't always turned up to maximum intolerance. It's key to understand that Islam, nor its adherents, are a monolith. There are all types of people in countries like Pakistan and Saudi Arabia too. People who are struggling to be heard. Further silencing them? with generalizations, is not only unjust, but achieves the exact opposite if reducing extremism is the goal. Liberal, accepting of apostasy Muslim families do exist there. Mine was one of them. But sadly, they exist in small numbers. It's voices from those minorities that need to be empowered, and yet they so rarely are. Instead, the narrative that Muslims are always conservative rules the airwaves in the West, be it left or right-leaning media, the left with its hijab glorifications, and the right with its anti-immigrant Muslim ban talk. It's been incredibly hard to break that mold, and the few instances of people trying to represent the more secular, liberal types of Muslim existence are met with a huge amount of resistance from all across the political spectrum. I mean, 
we already have so much to deal with from within the community that tacking on these external battles simply for a foothold, for a place to say I'm here and I exist, are disheartening and exhausting. As if dealing with angry mullahs against fun and freedom wasn't hard enough on its own. The left, the right, Muslims and non-Muslims too can all be hurdles for secular, liberal, and progressive Muslims. Now, as an ex-Muslim, I still very much consider myself part of the Muslim community. Like any secular Jew would consider themselves connected through culture, shared history, family, holidays, etc. But never before has my need to identify and stand in solidarity with the Muslim community felt more pronounced than in a time Muslim registries and bans are casually being spoken of in mainstream discourse. This is truly terrifying for anyone of Muslim background. When it comes to things like the registry or being barred from entering the U.S., I don't think secular non-believer status matters. And when it comes to hate crimes, I'm pretty sure no one will bother checking how devout you are either. In fact, there have been many victims of anti-Muslim hate crime that just happen to have brown skin. Or not even. Think of those stabbed on a bus in Portland for standing up to an anti-Muslim bigot. All this certainly complicates things for those of us from within who do have legitimate critiques of the community and of Islamic fundamentalism. How do we demand progress in a political climate rife with anti-Muslim sentiment? Homophobia is one such topic that desperately needs to be addressed. The orthodoxy Islam still commands worldwide in its adherence is unmatched by most other mainstream religions in the 21st century. For example, the countries that still carry a potential death penalty for homosexuality are largely Muslim. Three years ago, I wrote and illustrated an anti-homophobia children's book set in Pakistan called My Chacha, or Uncle, is Gay. And I was delighted when it got picked up by some schools in the Toronto area and used as a resource for the Day of Pink, which is an anti-bullying initiative. The book was read out in classrooms and assemblies, and the response was incredibly supportive at first. Then, as parents discovered that not only were their children read an LGBT-positive book, (gasps) but were read one set in Pakistan, the outrage began. Many claimed it was an assault on their religion, a misrepresentation of it. Some said I was attacking the moral fiber of the Muslim family. I received countless death and rape threats. Some referred to me as wajb al-qatl, worthy of killing. They wished STDs and Sharia punishments of being stoned to death upon my fictional character, Chacha. The most amusing comments called me Satan's daughter or compared my children's book's evilness levels to that of Salman Rushdie's notorious satanic verses. I'm not worthy, but I will take that compliment with pride. In Toronto, a radio show broadcasted calls from angry parents. Some threatened to sue the school board. And predictably, the LGBT-supporting Liberal School Board backed away from such a book. It was never used in an official capacity again. 
There were warnings being circulated on Islamic sites that people should protect their children from corruption, as they too could be exposed to this gay-turning, soul-sucking, 15-line picture book. This went on for quite some time. Islamic Society of North America published a blog post claiming that the school board was the one bullying parents into teaching their kids about LGBT diversity. I was branded an Islamophobe, and that was it. A resource that many children, teachers enjoyed and found useful was no longer available. When Muslim communities have problems with integration or accepting values like being LGBT positive, the way to tackle that would be precisely through such resources. But often, in the face of accusations of Islamophobia, even books about love and tolerance are tossed out as controversial. It's kids who lose out the most. Just recently, a conservative Islamic lecturer with a large following discovered my book and posted on social media about its evil agenda, sending a fresh new batch of threats and haters my way. On the other side of this battle, right-wing non-Muslims accused me of trying to sanitize homophobia in Islam and said that nice gay uncles like this simply didn't exist in Pakistan, that I was painting a rosy picture of what it was like to be gay in a Muslim country, that Chacha would have been stoned to death in reality. I mean, it was a fictional children's book, thus obviously simplified to a great degree, I mean, it's incredibly frustrating that if ever people from the Muslim world are challenging things and pushing boundaries, the Western right often wants to pull them back to standards that Islamists would be proud of. For one side, I was an Islamophobe. For the other, a sanitizer of Sharia. And that pretty much encapsulates what it's like to discuss Islam as a liberal ex-Muslim nowadays. Caught between a rock and a hard place. It's like walking a tightrope. You point out there's homophobia in Muslim culture and you risk that being grabbed and used by people who want to ban Muslims. Being liberal and ex-Muslim is an overlap that many days seems unmaintainable. Often you are not accepted by fellow liberals in the West because you're labeled Islamophobic or you're not accepted by those who are interested in critiques of Islam, because those circles are increasingly becoming anti-SJW, anti-feminist, anti-left. Anti-SJW used to mean being against extreme and unreasonable positions in the past. Now it's increasingly used to mean anti-anyone on the left. I mean, at this point, the discussion really seems to have left the grown-up table. What do you do when stuck at this impossible junction? Being liberal and Muslim or ex-Muslim is unacceptable. Invisible, even. And the term Islamophobia only adds to the confusion. The waters are so muddied that this word really does more harm than good. Allowing any criticism of Islamic fundamentalism, homophobia, etc., to be labeled as Islamophobia gives far-right fundamentalist Muslims a chance to shield the religion from valid criticism. It's essentially the same thing as the Christian religious right trying to shield their religion from criticism. Think of the absurdity of the war on Christmas to get a feel for how Islamophobia sounds to us. That's why I prefer the more precise term, anti-Muslim bigotry, 
The problem is not with theological criticisms of Islam or of its literalist interpretations. It is with the hatred and fear-mongering around Muslims. Seeing the confusion surrounding this topic, the Western far-right swoops in to claim that Islamophobia isn't real, even when it's being used to describe blatant anti-Muslim bigotry. The cries of, Islam is not a race, while technically true, ring hollow in a climate where brown people are targeted based on their skin color and appearance. And thus, the cycle of confusion continues. Hate crimes against Muslims in Canada increased 253% over four years, according to Global News. So, as anti-Muslim sentiment skyrockets, the emboldened far right here uses this opportunity to gain more support. As the Western far right lashes out at Muslims, the Muslim far right uses that opportunity to also gain more support. And the rest of us are well and truly fucked by them both. Another contentious topic is the hijab, both within Muslim circles and outside. Well-meaning Western liberals tend to overcompensate in their desire to make Muslims feel accepted and can end up championing conservatism from our communities. This is particularly tricky now because Muslim women are in actuality being attacked for their modesty garments. So, in the West, it's not exactly on the same footing as something like a Christian purity ball or virginity pledge, though it largely comes from the same place and regard for women. Now, as a woman who grew up in a theocracy, Saudi Arabia, I was forced to wear these modesty garments by the state and have encountered morality police on several occasions. I've seen them hit my mother's ankle with a cane for letting her headscarf slip. The memories are not pleasant. So for me, it's rather distasteful to see the constant celebration of this modesty garb. It leaves me feeling very isolated from my fellow liberals who I assumed would stand with me in opposing body shaming of women in my culture too. Simultaneously, I can understand that it has become hard to oppose a garment that is causing women to be targeted. My personal solution to this is that I stand in solidarity with hijab and niqab wearing women when it comes to bigots singling them out because they are visibly Muslim. But I still vehemently oppose the concept of a requirement for women to cover up so as not to invoke lust. Both things can and should be done together. One can show solidarity with hijabis without championing the hijab as some great symbol of liberation, which it clearly isn't, as many Muslim girls and women continue to be forced into modesty against their will. Another related issue is that the media gives very little coverage to Muslims who don't look like Muslims. There's so much noise around supporting the hijab that non-hijabi Muslim women are drowned out. This results in very one-dimensional coverage that yet again perpetuates the stereotype that Muslim is synonymous with conservative Muslim. Even Playboy magazine isn't immune to this and had to get in on the hijab celebration. Another example of this misguided support is the Shepherd Fairy poster from the Women's March. 
an admittedly powerful, iconic poster of a woman in a U.S. flag hijab was displayed as part of a series. It was seen as a symbol of resistance, as the anti-Trump. But it's hard for women like me to get behind one symbol of oppression against women to oppose another form of oppression against minorities. So, I created some artwork accompanied by a short message explaining that we do indeed need to show solidarity with hijabi Muslim women, but perhaps this wasn't the best method since there are many connotations to such a garment. Not all positive. Despite my clearly liberal sentiments and disclaimers that it was not to be used by people spreading hate towards Muslims, despite my opposition to Trump expressed in the accompanying audio, the post was widely retweeted by Trump fan accounts as well. It seems there's almost nothing we can do to prevent this. Either you suffer in silence under the homophobic, misogynistic, Islamic far-right, or you risk emboldening the anti-Muslim, anti-immigrant Western one. In fact, both LGBT and women's rights in Islamic countries are causes appropriated by the Western far-right now. In alt-right, alt-light circles, you'll see gay rights used as a soft white nationalist tactic. It's deeply concerning and sinister that an ideology so troubling can be dressed up as human rights. They champion these causes not in earnest, but as a mere pretext to bash Muslims with. Their trick is to express a faux concern over these things not being up to par in the Islamic world, while having little regard for the same in this part of the world. I cannot tell you how many Western anti-feminists support women's rights when it comes to Islam, but will callously tell Western rape victims that they're privileged because at least they don't live under Sharia. Whether it's accusations of Islamophobia or fears of emboldening anti-Muslim hate, either way, we are silenced. Just like any culture, we too should be able to criticize our own without being branded sellouts, traitors, or Islamophobes. Except, there is one problem. In this complex political climate, there is an actual loss of credibility too as more and more Muslim reformers, ex-Muslims, either get on the Trump train, defend the Muslim ban, or join the alt-right. And on the left, secular liberal Muslims continue to not be adequately represented. The scales are tipped massively towards high visibility of right-wing critics of Islam. Well-known ex-Muslim Breitbart editor Rahim Kassam has said things like, if Merkel took a million rapey migrants, Hillary will take 20 million. Then we also have the red-pilled ex-Muslim types who believe no Muslims are peaceful. Now, I as an ex-Muslim can tell you that this is not representative of all ex-Muslims, obviously, and there are many compassionate, progressive people among us, but the movement has taken undeniable rightward turn without many denouncing the bad actors that are nudging the movement further towards Pepe. This is definitely not what I signed up for. YouTube shows that regularly feature alt-right and alt-light figures will also court ex- and reformist Muslims to come and criticize Islam from their platforms. When you go on Breitbart or Rebel Media or Dave Rubin to criticize Islam, how can you complain that the left won't take your voice seriously? Credibility is a two-way street.
I would urge my fellow liberals to not champion Islamic conservatism, and I would urge my fellow ex-Muslims and their supporters to not prove critics of the ex-Muslim and Islamic reform movements correct by allying with the Western right or far right. I mean, long ago, people tried to discredit us by calling us right-wing mouthpieces. It hurts to see those criticisms sometimes become a reality. This rightward shift of Islam critics has even produced a Trump-supporting and anti-multiculturalism imam, would you believe? 2017, what a year! This imam, Imam Tawhidi, once put out an 11-step plan to crack down on Wahhabism, a literalist and harsh interpretation of Islam. It sounds reasonable in theory, but it read more like an authoritarian plan to put ordinary Muslims under strict surveillance. Australian media has dubbed him the fake sheikh. And an ABC article states, quote, Unsurprisingly, Tawhidi's tales about Sunni Muslims' shadowy plot to instate a caliphate have been enthusiastically embraced by the far right, including Reclaim Australia. Perhaps less expected is the extent to which Tawhidi himself has courted such groups. In the lead-up to last year's federal election, he made offerings of roses to roadside anti-Muslim Liberty Alliance and One Nation posters, as if the face of Pauline Hansen belonged not to Australia's most recognizable anti-Islam campaigner, but a Titian-haired deity, end quote. He throws around terms like fake news and lying left, reminiscent of Trump himself. I hope that one day, just like Sam B. or The Daily Show, progressive Muslims can earnestly push for change and criticize their own, without getting lumped in with or enticed by those with an anti-Muslim agenda. Islam is not a monolith, neither are its adherents nor its critics. Just like Islam can be interpreted and practiced in a million different ways, so too can criticism of it come from different angles and politics. It's important to be aware of the general Trump-era anti-Muslim climate, but it's also important not to erase the few secular, liberal, and progressive Muslims that exist. Recognize that people in my position are fighting a battle against bigotry from all angles. And that's all I've got for today. I hope that was useful.